So you literally run on two hours of sleep? I mean, I'm good with a solid four uninterrupted. Like if one kid wakes up in the middle of the night, then it's problematic. But four solid hours, I'm golden. If I get wow. eight, I feel hungover. I feel like so what I've been most mom. excited about CS is actually being on a podcast with a real robot. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <A> legitimate <laughs> android I am, robot. I am pretty dead inside at this point. She's been, so. she's been trying to pretend to be human, but she just let yeah. it all out right there. Yeah. Spilling the yeah. tea. <laughs> everybody and welcome back to The Human Element, Kara's podcast focused on finding ways to inject humanity and insight into modern marketing. I'm excited to kick off our first episode of 2024 with some of our favorites. Sarah Stringer, EVP, Head of U.S. Media Partnerships at Dentsu, Michael Liu, EVP, Head of Innovation at Kara, Whitney Fishman, EVP, Head of Innovation at iProspect, Tommy Huthansel, VP, Head of Innovation at Dentsu X, to cover all things CES, the annual trade show showcasing the latest products and technologies within the consumer electronics industry. Say that 10 times fast. I have so many innovation people in this room. This is the most exciting pod I've done. So thank you for joining at Woo. 8 a.m. in Las Vegas on a Wednesday. I don't know if we remember the last time we did this pod one year ago. We joked about me having my kid. I had my kid right after CES. Woo. So this is a CES baby. So, you know, happy birthday to my CES kid. Let's quickly give us a quick day in the life of how CES has been for y'all this time around. Honestly, I'm having a great CES. I feel very energized for some reason, which I think might sound different as you go down the line, but we'll see. I was a complete nerd going on Sunday and picked up my badge on Monday, managed to get on the showroom floor early and just fully nerded out. And all the things that I think I've nerded out about, everyone's like, why are you excited by that? I was like, I don't know, it just looks cool and futuristic. And it was just nice to be back and actually feel excited about the technology. I feel like sometimes we get a little wrapped up in the day-to-day partner meetings and like just the, you know, seeing people that you haven't seen for a while. But I think actually just getting back to the technology has been something that's really exciting. And I have to say, Winnie said something very poignant in yesterday's kickoff session for clients, which was just around in a recession year, things kind of get a bit more sensible, but a bit more believable. So I think for me, that is what has made this sort of this year kind of a bit more exciting because I feel like there's a lot of realistic innovations. That and I saw RuPaul's Drag Race, which is like a dream come true. So I've been very happy about that. So yeah, it's been good seeing a lot of people. People seem very energized. Well, maybe not right now, but people feel like they're in a good mood. I'm feeling hopeful about 2024. So I love CES. I know it's not the uh, hot take amongst everybody, but I love CES. I think the opportunity to have conversations out of your everyday, see things that, you know, aren't the Jetsons flying cars, but things that are actually going to impact the marketplace or actually be available to consumers and change their lives, whether it's health tech or frankly, a toy for children with autism to help them with therapy-based learning. Like, I just think it's so cool. And I love the fact that even the things that you look at and you're like, why? Like, why? Why this? Everything has such a human insight behind it, right? So I just think it's amazing. In terms of schedule, I sort of embrace, I've been doing this for over 15 years and I sort of have the same schedule of no sleep till Friday night. So I fully lean in and embrace it. So I left New York City 3 a.m. on Monday and I've kept to my routine of staying. I get up at 4 a.m. every day, work out, write, look at all the headlines, do my web crawlers for all my content and then catch up on East Coast work and then hit the floor. So, and I do my innovation tours, have partner meetings, bring our clients around places. So for me, it's sort of just back into the same routine. But it is really nice because the last few years have been a little weird and wonky. So aside, yes. Is 4 a.m. like a consistent thing in life or just CES? No, in New York City, it's 4.30. Here it's 4. (gasps) God. I also like to go to the gym. If I could put Mike Lou's face I like, on the pod. I like to be at the gym before anyone else's because the only thing that I cannot handle as an introvert, extrovert, is small talk when I'm not mentally capable of embracing it. So the last thing, and I've learned the hard way, if you go to the gym after five, especially the first day, after the next day everyone's too hungover to go, you have people that you may not want to speak to first thing in the morning, like next to you, treadmill, and want to chit-chat or like get in that vendor conversation. And it's real uncomfortable real quick. So I just prefer to stick to my routine. What time do you go to sleep? Oh, I don't sleep during CES. I'll sleep Friday night. Regularly. So I would say in New York, I go to bed between 11 and 2.30 in the morning, depending on how much work I have. Tommy, what CES look like for you? Well, this is my first one, so I'm pretty excited Woo! about it. I've seen more 4 a.m.s from the night before than I ever have from the start of the day. So good on you, Whitney. But no, yeah, I've always been a gadget 
techie person, so I'm just really excited to see all of the stuff in person. I've never walked the floors before, so just super excited to experience all the cool tech and then figure out what the hell to do with it. I love that. Uh, this is my <clears throat> probably sixth, seventh one, and I realized yesterday I felt like an old curmudgeon because me and Tommy were talking about it because I went on the floor and I was like, it's the same stuff every year. And, you know, and it sort of is. And we talked about this in the previous CES pods. It's, it's like incremental progress every year. But I need to still go back to like the wonderment of where we are and how special this, you know, regardless of the prototype, regardless of the model, regardless of we've seen these transparent screens, rolling screens, whatever screens every single year, it's still cool to see the progress over the past year and then still understanding whether or not or predicting whether or not it's going to catch the consumer side of things. And so Whitney and I talked about this in our, our opening presentation yesterday that at the CS floor, X percent, like a really good percentage of them will never get made or ever go into production. But I think it's just really exciting to see other people's vision of the future from their eyes. So outside of the actual physical tech... The energy here, you have hundreds of brands, hundreds of partners, hundreds of agency professionals. Is there a different energy to you this year than last? I think the last few years have been weird, right? And I think every year we say last year was weird, but obviously coming out of COVID, coming out of a lot of concern, I think we're going into a weird year. You know, there's the economic indicators that Mike and I have been talking about. There's the fact that every brand is sort of looking at every dollar and every channel and every platform. But I do think in general, you can have a different conversation. So when we have conversations with CMOs and media teams and we talk about innovation agendas or new ideas, like I think it's very exciting to get them excited for 25 minutes on a Teams call or in the room and then you have to go make it happen, but it's very hard to articulate what that looks like in real life. I think when you can get anybody, right, it doesn't matter if you take them to a sports game, an art museum, CES, if you can get somebody out of their element and you can show and not tell, and you can say, you know, this is the 100,000 foot view, now let's bring it back to the 20,000 foot view of what we can do for your brand. I think just immersing someone in something that is so far out of their comfort zone and just so eye-opening, like walking the show floors and seeing those screens, seeing these random devices, seeing the glove that can offset a hand tremor, right, from Parkinson's, just things that have nothing to do with what they do for a living but are just so incredible. I don't think you have a choice. I think your mind is forced to open up and just look at life a little bit differently, which ultimately unlocks different conversations around now how do we apply any of these insights to our work with you. I think potentially the other thing, maybe more specific to media overall, is that the last, say, 18 months has been a horrible year of reckoning. Like, companies have realized that it's not always going to keep growing. I think there are, you know, a lot of large big tech firms that we previously hadn't heard of have reduced numbers of staff. They have refocused their products. So I feel like the people that are here probably feel a new level maybe of appreciation of being here and being in the room and having those conversations. But also they are more practical conversations around what are we actually going to do? This isn't just pie in the sky. Oh, I've got a kind of gut feel on something. It's okay, we have a whole load of new tools in our tool belt, whether it's new API connections, whether it's new AI integrations, whatever it might be. What are we going to do to help grow our businesses together? So I think there's, in a weird way, a bit of a refocus because it's been a tough year for everyone. And I think that... Everyone thought everything was always going to go up. And I think that now we, we're getting to that sort of like, well, not everyone's going to make it. So as much as we talk about some of the, you know, the macro factors around CES, where you're like, sure, there's a whole load of amazing innovations that aren't going to make it. I think there's been a bit of a reckoning in the sort of software and platform marketplace as well. So I think people are buoyant, focused, and they recognize that they have to make things real to actually progress business and move things forward. So... I do think there's maybe a little bit more focus there. I think on the same, little similar vein of what Whitney was talking about, I, I really think that brands and marketers being here and ourselves being here, it's all about just exposing ourselves to all these different types of stimulus and inspiration that will just subconsciously connect in the back of our heads. And so I think that's what's important here. Like you can't ignore all those types of things and something will come out of it. So I'm, I'm always excited to see what that is. And, and even just seeing this year versus... Previous years, obviously, like AI has been the topic that's been taking over everything. I'm really, really, really excited to see how brands are starting to think about, okay, well, I know that I have to do something in this, or I'm getting asked by my board, I'm getting asked by my CEO, 
what to do with this technology and then just seeing all the other different companies out there like putting it out there and saying, this is our feature, this is what we're, how we're integrating it, it starts to have them think about, okay, well, how do I apply that to my category? So, so Whitney, you touched on this a little bit, but you and Mike hit the, we had a kickoff session yesterday with our clients and it was around like contextual influences for the year and how this will shape some of the consumer trends as well as the technology that's adopted. Can you touch on a little bit of those three, top three contextual kind of cultural moments that we're going to need to Think about next year? Yeah. This year. Holy shit. Next year. (laughs) Whatever year you want. Right? Yes. So one is, obviously, if you don't say the word AI, you're not doing your job as an innovation person, but sort of this pivot from, we have AI as a cultural term at this point because ChatGPT essentially was the Pokemon Go of AI for consumers, right? And we had every brand, every partner, every startup come to us last year with something powered by AI. Most of it was vaporware and it wasn't true AI, couldn't really create. This is really going to be their practical AI, right? I mean, the truth is we want the term AI to go away. When you talk to people, you don't say, and you use the internet to do X, right? Use the internet to get to your brand. You just go get to your brand, right? So ideally the term AI goes away, but the focus this year is practical AI. What are the actual points of friction that you can alleviate? And what are the actual tensions that your consumer has, or frankly, your company has, that you can have very specific, tactical, practical, focused, applied application to solve specific problems? Doesn't have to be all of the things and replace all of the jobs and do all of the stuff, but what is the tactical, practical application of AI? We pulled out three core themes that are really influencing sort of how we're looking at these different trends that, you know, out of many of them, we, we pulled out like, what, five? Right to, to think about. The first one being elephant in the room is like the political year and election year that we've got. Every four years it, it gets pretty tense. And so, you know, obviously we're going to have this onslaught of campaigning and division and scandals and all these political messages that are being thrown at us, being texted and, you know, message and didn't sign up for X server. So you're going to just get bombarded by all this stuff in the media, every single me- piece of media. And so we're, we're understanding that people are going to be sort of in this frame set, in this mindset of just kind of paying attention to all what's going around in the political landscape. We're trying to be away from it or even just sort of being leaned in. So it's going to just be like hyper-focused on that, right? So America as a whole will be very tense next year. The second one was more of this economic shakiness, and that's you know more so talking about how over the past few years we've been anticipating this this impending recession, and you know even though America I think went up a couple points in the GDP and we're doing pretty decent as a country, if you actually go beyond the surface level of that number, we're actually not. The wealth inequality gap is widening year over year, and uh, I think the stat that we pulled out was the top 10% control 76% of the wealth of the country and the bottom 50% of the country only control 1%. And so the middle class is also shrinking and the lower income class is also just getting poorer and poorer. And so as a country, we're starting to think about what are those tensions that's going to pull on consumerism and capitalism and how we're starting to buy things and how we have brand preference. And as a company that maybe sells commodities, how do you think about still building brand loyalty when people are going to have to pay for the cheaper item to be able to survive? And then once you know we get out of this recession or out of this economic situation, how do they? How do you lure them back, right? And so having that long-term thinking of building the brand to help support this, and the last one being the duality of media, which we did a study with Vox on where attention is going, and you know how media is also a double-edged sword, in which you know we are going to be bombarded by the political messages, messaging about the Olympics, and all these different types of social media trends and content that's going to be releasing this year. And we're just going to try to get, you know, blitzed and overwhelmed by all this media. We're going to try to either stay away from it and do more IRL things and or use media to also be an escape for us of reality. And so as brands, how do we think about using media for the betterment of our consumers' mental and being able to cater towards that versus like adding to the anxiety of the media blitz of everything going on this year? Let's get back a little bit to the show floor and some of the tech that we've seen so far. What brands and companies have made an impression this CES for you? Tommy, we'll start with you. I haven't been on the floor yet. Damn it, Tommy. But I could say of the pictures I've seen. Yeah, or even the innovation uh, sessions you've been hosting. Oh, the innovation sessions have been really good, actually. I mean, we've had some really fun sessions with everyone has been an AI partner. 
but it has been very fun to see all the different ways that our clients' eyes light up at the opportunities, meeting with folks that they probably wouldn't meet with on a daily basis. I think a lot of people, I'm, again, for CES, but I've a lot of people talk about meeting with partners you meet with every day and just traveling to Vegas for it. These sessions have been for partners that they would probably not meet with and open their eyes, get very excited, and then think about how, when we get back to the real world, how can we actually partner and do really cool stuff. So those sessions have been pretty awesome. Again, lots of AI, but lots of different uses of AI, front-end, back-end, consumer-facing, all good stuff. So those, those sessions have been really fun. And from the pictures I've seen, the see-through TV looks pretty dope. <laughs> I actually was really impressed by that. I was like, I would gladly buy a see-through TV. So it's not like an eyesore. It's really, it's actually pretty impressive how clear it is and actually good. It's not just like some bad model on the floor prototype. It's pretty cool up front. Well, I feel like there's going to be an interesting interchange between TV tech and mobile tech. And we've seen it with foldable and, you know, kind of rollable in TV. But I don't know. I want a sci-fi film where my phone is a transparent whatever. So maybe we'll see that eventually. Well, it's just screen tech in general, right? Right, that's it. Yeah. Can I go back? The Sphere. The Sphere was dope. Everything about The Sphere outside of the very odd movie that they used to demo it is amazing. The visuals, the sound, you the rumbling. Like everything is awesome about The Sphere. So I was skeptical of it before I stepped foot into it. I'm a fan of it now. I think the thing that got me about The Sphere was the fact that you have this enormous screen in front of you, but the light in the actual content felt real. It felt like real human light. And it kind of then, I was immediately like, oh, maybe we could live in space and maybe we could simulate the sun. And I was like, God, this is potentially depressing. But I was just amazed that when they, the screen sort of lit up and you looked across the faces of all the other people that were sat down in the auditorium, that it actually looked like we were all outside at like an outdoor event. And it, it was pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, the immersive nature of these things, you have to try it. If you have to try it for the immersive nature of these things, right? You can see as many videos as you can or want, but you just have to try these things for yourself to really understand. That's like with any technology, right? We always tell partners or clients that if you want to get into gaming, you want to get into AR, you want to do something, you have to try it as a human first before you try it as a marketer. By using it as a human, the inspiration and the insight that you're going to get is far stronger than just approaching it as a marketer or a brand. I don't know if this is a spoiler, but I, I like this sphere where it starts off as like a, a small square that you're watching, like an IMAX. And then at one point, it just like takes over the entire place. Yeah, I felt my industry jadeism on me when I watched the little square. I was like, oh man, this yeah. feels like Disney. Yeah, and like where and that's, your seats just oh, shaking. Anything wrong with Disney? No, yeah. I love Disney. <laughs> also, just purchased Disney Plus, so <laughs> totally on board for that. But I was like, oh, okay, this is how it's going to be. And then when it opened up, I was like, oh, never mind. Like, this yeah. is wild. It felt like an IMAX movie at first, and then I was yeah. like, oh. I knew they cool. were doing it. Like, yeah. you, you knew they were setting it up for a big reveal. I knew it, but for, a, like, it was a little while that it was just that square on the screen. I was just like, yeah. they can't only be doing this. Okay, well, I did not know it was going to be anything else but that. Oh. So very shocked. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, I I loved the sphere. It was, I thought it was mind-blowing. And there's no video that anybody took in there that could do it justice. Agreed. You have to, it's something you have to be fully immersed did you put your Ray-Bans on to look smarter on this pod, or are you recording something on us? I'm going to take a recording later <laughs> of us talking. But it's going to get your... We also need everyone's consent. Yes. yes. Can I have your consent? No. No consent. No. <laughs> then I don't give consent for this podcast. You have no choice. Shut up. We talked about practical AI being a primary focus for 2024 for brands. Are there any other important areas that we should have brands focus on around innovation for 2024. Um, I was talking to a client about this on Monday night, actually, and I think the big thing is, uh, to Mike, to your point around like, how do we use AI in our day-to-day -day for, for clients and that conversation they're having around their own internal boardroom tables, test and learn. And I know that's a really old, we're all innovation pros here. Everyone says test and learn probably a million times a day to a million different people internally and externally, but... Clients are actually willing to do it because they recognize now that if they don't start trying and creating experiments, they are falling behind. And I think the big thing, AI for a couple of years, we were like, oh, big trend is AI, but no one knew how to apply it. They've just been given a whole toolbox of things that they can now start playing with. And it's made a real difference because it's, to your point, it's made this innovation practical. You can actually now start playing around. They have sandboxes for, you know, you can infuse information in a safe manner. And again, I know that this isn't the first time we've said this on the pod, but 
you know, you have to make sure you're doing these things in the right way. You can't just use a whole lot of free tools and expect potential sensitive IP not to be used as training data then for broader platforms that may have public access. So you have to do it right. But there are all these tools and all these amazing partners who are creating those tools for you. So we had a great meeting with Amazon yesterday and they were talking about some of their AWS templates that will allow for AI. And it's just what you're seeing is these large companies making it more accessible for brands to start playing around in a safe way. So I just think that the big thing is test and learn. The big thing is about not just talking about it, but trying it. But as we've always said, again, historically in uh, cross Dentsu and innovation is test small. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Have a innovation budget and just keep breaking off funds. Test it. If it starts going well, scale it. Great. But just don't put everything into one project because that's when you feel like you potentially hit failure if it doesn't give you the outcome you're expecting. Yeah, incremental innovation is way better than all in because if it doesn't necessarily lead up. The other conversation that we're having that's not necessarily a CES conversation is define your innovation mission statement, right? Because innovation means something different to everybody and there's no wrong, there's a lot of wrong definitions, but there's no one right definition. But if you don't understand what innovation means for your brand we cannot co-create against that, right? And it just, it doesn't work and it's never going to land properly. And even those small bets versus big bets are never going to hit the way that you want them to or expect them to. So it's really before you get started in the bright, shiny objects, before you get started on the incremental and big bets, defining innovation and what it means for your brand is so critical. I disagree. You go all in and on cryptocurrency. (laughs) That's this year. Or that. No no little bets, big bets, all in, Dogecoin. This is the year. Uh, All marketers uh, should switch their marketing budget to just Dogecoin. Um, Oh, my God. Outside of AI, but I think it's AI. It's still very AI-infused. I'm excited about the wearables. I don't know how that relates to brands just yet. I think it will soon, and I think we'll start to see more. But the wearable technology, like Michael's amazing sunglasses, transition lenses, I should say, that he's wearing right now. Transitions. Just the fact that it's getting better and cooler and not ridiculous looking now, I think it's going to start to get really cool soon. Although we heard some things that maybe not as soon as we would like, but still soon as soon, I think. Over, under predictions for 2024. I'm just going to list off a bunch of stuff and you're going to tell me where we're at. Practical AI, 100%. All in. All in. Flying cars. I don't trust anyone for anything anyway, so the idea of trusting someone in a flying vehicle is a no for me. Well, I think the marketplace has made that decision for us, right? If you look at the investment, people want smarter cars. They don't want fully autonomous driving. They have no interest. They want smart features. They want autonomous features like helping you back in or me when I parallel park to pick up my kids at school and get two out of ten thumbs up from the security staff. Been a delight, but nobody, I don't think anybody has the trust or the interest or the financial means to put money towards that. We look, we can't, you can't get enough electric chargers to justify getting an electric car in many cities right now because the, the chargers aren't even there and people are trying to be more sustainable and they can't. You're telling me that now we should just trust car companies to just compete fully and trust the robots. I don't think people are there yet. A door got ripped off an airplane last week. I'm not just jumping in a flying car. That's a professional airplane. No, I'm out on flying cars. But, and yet we see them every year at CES. So it yes. still fascinates me. I'm going to steer really quickly away from this game. Auto does play a really large presence at CES. What can brands learn from Auto this year at CES from what you've seen so far? Smart integration. So, I think one of the greatest things that we've seen and will continue to see, again, going back to this incremental innovation, is consumers don't want the flying car, but they want the smart car, right? So a lot of the things that we're seeing this year is in-screen integration, sort of like what Mike has on his face or the wearables that will project things onto the glass for you, but projecting it onto the windshield. So whether it's smart insight or a couple of companies have introduced their version of ChatGPT that will be integrating into things like Volkswagen, the ability to bring smart assets and smart tools that already help you through your smartphone, through your smart speakers, bringing that into the car makes you a more educated, alert, hopefully focused driver. And I think that's what we're going to see a lot, just applied innovation in that space. 
I think it's interesting that we've not seen as many, and look, it makes sense based on the economic pressures of the last year around supply chain issues and so forth for a lot of auto companies. So we haven't seen the big spend and as much sort of flashy, giant, big auto brands. But again, CES is about ingredient brands. We've seen all of the software companies that are infusing Mm -hmm. into vehicles, autonomous vehicles, you know, AI infusion, it's really their time to shine. So, you know, you'll see Snapdragon with looking at their car integrations. You've got, I'm trying to think of all of the chip manufacturers that basically have a different car that they are showcasing all of their new technology through. So it's interesting to sort of see this interplay now between these huge tech firms and the car as a device, but they're not hearing the brand of car. What they're hearing is the brand is the car as a device for the software to sit on. So it's a slight pivot on this idea of what is does the device look like and what we'd normally see from auto shows. And it's really around what is the functionality going to be around the software that powers it. So it feels like it's a software for cars show versus a car show. And I think in previous years, we've seen it as more of a car show. Like, here's an amazing concept car, whereas now we're seeing this is what can happen within that car. All right, thank you. Back to the game. Gaming. Always yes for gaming, but CS doesn't feel like a big gaming show. Even though I will say, and I hate to use the M word, I do think the metaverse is now going to be large screens versus on-face screens. I'm making that call around the sphere. I would rather be in a public giant, which I know sounds weird because the metaverse is meant to be events when you could just have an IRL event and just be at an IRL event. I love the idea of the scale of a screen and the idea of having like a community moment with that screen. So I feel like this sense of the metaverse getting off your face or people's expectation of it getting off your face into, that sounds really weird out of context. into like large screen event things is really interesting. I think it's a they, natural extension though, right? Because haven't there yeah, been correct. so many gaming events where people are just paying, buying tickets but and joining to watch? But isn't that inherently not the quote-unquote metaverse where it's when you're doing an IRL event with this, just a digital screen, I think? For me, I feel like the metaverse is the still, I guess, like a socialized, digitized experience. I still think that 3D billboards and so forth will still make you feel like there is a sort of window into a digital world in the same way that then you feel like you're plugging yourself in with a headset or even through gaming and actually just, even though it's on a 2D screen, still feeling like you're exploring something in 3D. I don't think Metaverse is just like one form factor per se. But to your point, if it's an IRL event, you're like, isn't that just an IRL event? Yeah, that's, that's infusion- what I'm saying. It's like maybe it's not a change in the term Metaverse. I think it's just a bridge to get that's different from that term metaverse. Like, I don't think the metaverse is going to be an IRL event with many people in a room with a digital screen and digital assets around. It's probably still going to be that definition of a virtual world that lives alongside the real world that people interact with and live with and have commerce and like play with each other. But probably before we get to that comfort level of having the things on our faces, maybe it is like these IRL events with people having these digital immersive events first and then they go home and they're like, oh, this is like more comfortable for me. I think there's something, I think what Sarah's saying is there's something about merging the tactile, the physical and the digital, which I 100% sit with. So like I'm being on the floor yesterday, I, I don't care how good the headsets are and I have a headset. You see somebody using a headset and they look ridiculous. It's isolating. You could go like, you know, you could wave your hand in front of their face. They have no idea you're there. You are completely isolated, even if you're sitting next to your best friend. Like, it is an isolating experience. It is a cool experience. But again, sitting in the sphere, Tommy and Mike next to each other, experiencing together and knowing that you're physically like seeing each other's reactions is massive. What is interesting, though, is you also saw a lot of technology that was sort of haptic, tactile-based technology of how do you feel what you're doing in the game, even if you're gaming on your mobile device, right? Or I think that need for the tactile and not just the tap it signifies there is some sort of human need for physicality and touch that I don't know if it's bringing screens to real life or us into the screens, whatever the case may be. There is some sort of human nature element that we will see attempted to be addressed in the next few years. But I think the, well, the haptic gloves, the haptic body suits, the, I don't know, last year we saw that like 360 treadmill that you can actually run in game, but you're like not going anywhere. You're in your like Virtuous room. Omni. Yeah, mm. Omni. Like that, yes, I agree. I think that is where the gaming realm is moving towards. And you see some of that stuff. Like you see the roller coaster chair that kind of rocks you around and blows wind at you and sprays you with water and all that kind of stuff. The headsets are I'm a little indifferent. I don't think that they're ready yet, but I can see us using them privately in our home to interact with people that are not near us. And I don't know if looking silly, 
at my own home is the deterrent. No, but it's still, unless you are alone, I do, I do find concerns around the isolating nature of it. Oh, mobile phones? Mobile phones, yes, but you can at least see what the person's doing versus you are completely, I don't know where I am once I put the headsets on. Am I on my couch? Am I somewhere else? Where am I walking? Am I going to walk into a wall? Oh, but that's why I'm excited about the Quest 3 and they have the pass through. 100%. And, yeah, no, I, I think the there's solves. Yeah, and the Vision I Pro. I think there's solves, but again, it's also the question, classic question, right? Like chicken egg. Just because you built it doesn't mean someone's going to invest in it. What's the marketplace going to look like? What's the content going to look like? What's the financials going to look like? I mean, yeah. look, Apple's device launches next month. It is the most expensive thing they've put out. People yeah. are wondering, is it going to be Apple's first failure, right? I'm an Apple girl. I'm apt to try it in the name of innovation, obviously. But, mm. right, you're not going to buy that for the sake of. You need to provide a consumer, especially at that price point. What is the utility and the immediate satisfaction you're going to get out of that at a long-term value? Yeah. yeah, but have you bought food lately? Like, food's mad expensive. Everything's expensive. <laughs> yeah. So I think $3,500 is a lot, but I don't think it's crazy, and I think it's going to come down as they iterate and, like, do things. Again, I don't think everybody has $3,500 for a pair of ski goggles that you can, like, do excels on. Not super pumped for that, but yeah. I think there's some... I think it's the start. I think it's the start of more people getting comfortable with wearables. I think when Apple does something, everyone just goes, I've been trying to do that, but now you've finally done it, and now I can, now other people will see my product. So I'm, I think that'll just like lead other people to do cool stuff, push it forward. Again, though, I agree with you. When you stand there with a VR headset on and look like ridiculous in a room and be like, where is that person? What are they doing? And yeah, if they're doing Excel, that might be weird. But I think there's... <laughs> Good for that. I'm, I'm excited for the, the future of wearables. We think the wearable, the headset, is probably going to get a smaller footprint in the future, right? Advancement of technology and the chips that we were talking about. Like, it's going to have to get smaller. To the point of, like, $3,500 for this, what's the value to me, right? Are we going to have a, a strong third-party developer community that's going to make killer apps for it? What is the killer app for it? Is it purely entertainment? We haven't seen really Oculus, HTC really go out of a killer app outside of gaming and maybe watching a movie once or twice, right? Yeah, I'm curious to see where that lies, but maybe this is Apple's small incremental test and learn, right? They get well, expensive. Um, for Apple. My hot take is technology that doesn't feel like technology is always going to win out. So as soon as the form factor feels like it's more natural and human, it's going to win. As the only person not in innovation here, $3,500 in groceries sounds a lot better to me. <laughs> That's like two yogurts and like, <laughs> granola milk. Like, I don't know, and man. some eggs. Yeah, maybe. That's like <laughs> a lucky. half a dozen half eggs. Half <laughs> yeah, not a full dozen. Depends on where they were born and raised. Sustainability. How do we see that show up on the floor, over under, for 2024? Oh, I thought you were asking if we were in on it. I was like, I'm out on sustainability. Let's ruin this place. <laughs> no, sustainability, I, yeah, I think you see a lot of people like trying to lean into it, and it, it's good. We need to protect the place we live in. Otherwise, we're going to go in that weird movie from the sphere. A few years ago, it was sort of a marketing tactic to talk about, and we have had, added green this year, right? But I think at this point, it's a baseline. People recognize that if you don't have it, you're in trouble not only as a you know good stort of the planet, but also consumers are going to come for you because they just love a good cancel. But I do think what's interesting is the emphasis is on the innovations, but sustainability is built in as one of those innovations. It's just part of the conversation, sort of table stakes at this point, which is nice to see that it's at the core, not an afterthought at this point. I agree on the whole read receipts. I mean, Apple with coming out with their announcement on Apple Watch and then the question marks on, is that actually the case? Um, in terms of, is it going to be a fully, what, recycled, sustainable product for them? And then, you know, they're in a lawsuit right now, I think. So that's, yeah. so good times. I've seen it referenced. I haven't been actually into the Samsung area yet, but I know that they have a sustainability angle on their story, but I still need to see that. So I can't, can neither confirm nor deny. I just saw it from the outside when I was sneaking around on Monday. There was a very cool Samsung fridge where you could open the fridge like a human. Or you could hit a button and the entire thing went clear. So you could see what was in your fridge. And then you could hit another button and it would go produce by produce, cheese by cheese, and tell you how many days it has left till it's spoiled. But I need that. And how many days it had been in your fridge. And based on clicking on the lemon that has three days left or the cheese slice that's been in there for two weeks, you could get recipe recommendations, information on what the actual tactic was in terms of like how long will this last, or put it on your list to rebuy. I didn't even know lemons could really go out of date. I just, you know, mm. just... I think you just leave them till you, find, <laughs> leave them till you find a fungus. Right. <laughs> That's my vibe. But yeah, sustainability, I'll be honest, I haven't 
It's actually not been a huge focus of mine this year, so I don't know what that says. Well, well, last year I think is the difference because Samsung and a bunch of other tech companies kicked off the keynotes with their sustainability commitments and goals. And that's quite different from the topics of this year, which was AI. And I think everybody's really excited for AI without even asking about the implications on the energy that it uses and the different chips in the silicon and the batteries that it takes and you know all I the... I still think there's tech. a lot of work to be done in the industry around sustainability, but I also now think it might be more like table stakes. Like people just expect it. Like you better just have the plan baked in. It's almost like when 5G was like a conversation every CES and all of a sudden it just disappeared. <laughs> it was like, okay, so like what happened to it? But like it just became essential, kind of yeah. like the practical AI. But mm-hmm. I think that'll take a few years for us to stop talking about AI the way we are. Well, but everything was connected living. We all spoke about connected living, smart devices. Now it's either like, yeah, I have a Google Home in my kitchen or I don't. Or you have a toilet seat that sings to you. Or you don't. Last one in this game. Audience inclusivity and expansion. Talking a little bit about the boomers. Oh, yeah. So the last boomer turned 60 this year. A lot of people who hear this are going to be doing the math in their heads. Like, is that me or is that my friend or colleague? 51% of spendable wealth in the United States. It's only going to get bigger. And then obviously with COVID, most people who listen to this have either spent more time in their parents' home than they planned on doing in the last few years or lived there. I lived there for 96 days, my husband will say, and three hours, but who's counting? But also you're seeing sort of this pivot in terms of how people engage, entertain, and spend, right? So when you, everyone chases youth, but if you actually look back and say, look at Gen Z, look at Gen Alpha, look at millennials, the things that they are buying, who's, who's writing the check, right? It's often the boomers. When you do family trips, who's writing that check? When there's investments over the holidays, who's writing the big ticket item check? So recognizing that who the influencer is and who the end purchaser is, is very interchangeable. Recognizing that, you know, baby boomers are an older generation, therefore they're not as sexy to chase. There's a lot of money there, and the money that they're spending is not just on themselves. It's on other generations, so you have to sort of reconfigure and rebalance what is your path to influence and path to acquisition, and who do you have to impact and touch? Because are you really targeting the kid, or are you targeting the millennial parent who's going to nudge the grandparent, right? What's the game plan here? And even with trips, who's actually undercutting all of the trips to Bali there, right? So figuring that out, I think, is mission critical. I mean, I think CES is always a good one for showing a lot of technology use for healthcare. And I still think we see a lot of that around aging health and also youngsters. So we've, we continually see, you know, companions. I mean, we've even seen companions for pets now around their mental health and support and comfort. So that has really been a consistent theme that we've seen around, I guess, in-home wellness and companionship, both for elderly youngsters and I guess particularly around stimulation, mental health support, education. You know, I think that's been a consistent theme. And I think that CES is an interesting one because it does, it covers off areas that we as marketers don't usually enter into. We are usually like 18 plus, like, where's the money at? Like, who's about to have a kid? Who's about to move house? But CES is generally pretty well balanced and actually showcases things that, you know, some of the things we maybe don't want to think about as we're getting older and, you know, even the fact that we've seen a healthcare massage chairs are health tech now, apparently. But then I was like, well, maybe actually, if, you know, can't move around that much, or maybe you're at home and you don't have as much home help, or the idea of just making sure that, you know, body parts are being moved to ensure that you have good circulation. I was like, well, maybe I should be less judgmental on the fact that it looks like a lazy boy, like from space, and actually has a lot of therapeutic capabilities for, for people who may be a bit more housebound. Just wait till you're on the innovation tour. There's a few of those exoskeletons and there is a massager chair that will bring up different parts of your body to focus on that for therapy and ensure that your hips are in the right place and your back is aligned. Well, we're joking that I think I popped a hip on the first day because I stomped around the uh, floor so much. So I might need the ectoskeleton just to make sure I can walk around the floor on Thursday. We got to get you the leggings. There's leggings on the floor that have integrated technology within them. So as the user moves, it will use the body energy and transfer it back into sort of almost like massage therapy with no technology. They look like Lululemon leggings, but as you move, it'll kind of push into the pressure point, so it's as though you are getting like a Theragun massage. That's Black Panther-like kinetic tech in, yeah. in life. Wakanda forever, love it. <laughs> we have five minutes for a lightning round, which always seems like it's never a lightning round, but we're gonna try really hard. Most interesting fact you've learned on the ground at CES. 100 years of CES. 100 years of CES. Yeah. 100 years of CES. People didn't know the hack to put two inches of bath water 
in your bath when you get to your hotel room to turn it into a humidifier. <laughs> I didn't know that hack. That was awesome. What was her name? Shout out to... Yeah, I didn't know people didn't know that. that was I had no Connie idea. I've seen that. Legend. Yeah. First thing I do. Most interesting person or company you met or read about? There's an app called Wisp where for those who are losing their voice because of degenerative diseases or long-term issues or throat box issues or long-term stuttering, where you download it and you can simply whisper into the app, it will in real time regenerate and buffer out your voice to clean it up and make it stronger to its original strength and use that as a translator in real time. So if you have a call or conversations or you're on a work call, it will fix your voice for you. So in real time, you can actually have those conversations. We had some fun startup meetings yesterday and... I mean, the QR code has really had a glow up. We met with Flowcode, and it's less about the actual QR code and just the idea that, you know, people are scanning things now since um, the pandemic, but actually all the back end, all the data points, all the fact that basically every single physical touch point now has the opportunity for data capture. And that has just, it was just pretty crazy to, to see the level of detail that you can get to and the amount of additional data that you could capture from that. So to Tommy's point around wearables and how brands probably aren't using that right now, the big thing there is there's a wealth of data that we're not tapping into. And for me, as much as a QR code, people are like, yeah, sure, it's a QR code generator. You're like, no, it's not. It's all the back end and making sure you can identify what is going on in the back end. That is like a real game changer. So that was pretty interesting. They're not new. I've had a lot of amazing meetings thus far with our intelligent messaging team here at Dentsu. And a lot of our clients are getting very excited about the idea of using AI to just interact with consumers, not just in a customer service standpoint, but using it as a reaching out and a starting point. And so just shout outs to Val from our intelligent messaging team for doing some amazing work with our clients and getting them excited about. It's baby steps for a lot of folks, and it might seem obvious, but if they're not thinking about it, they're not going to do it. So we're bringing it to them and it's getting them their feet wet in the space to start doing more. Practical innovation. There you go. So yesterday I went to the Shiseido booth, one of our clients, and they had a really cool setup there where they used AI to take a picture of your nose. And based off the structure of your nose, they can indicate the skin health that you might be predisposed to. So it's a really interesting science behind it that they were explaining to me yesterday. But basically when your nose develops in your teenage years and it doesn't change much after that bridge and the, the structure of your nose and the capillaries that it sees through your skin, through the scan, it knows like, oh, your skin is, you know, predisposed for like higher wrinkles, but you're good on moisture. You might have sagging in the future, but you might X, Y, and Z. And then they have this other app where it has like, you stand in front of it with face lotion and it uses AI hands for you to follow sort of like a navigation to like how to actually put the lotion on and go slowly and gently and like moving all the different blood flow around your face to have higher skin health. So I thought it was like pretty cool to see like one of our clients really innovating in the space. I love that. And especially as a skincare grower. So I'll pay 3500 for that. Weirdest thing you've seen on the floor? Okay, everyone's like taking, making fun of me because I was really excited about um, an AI electric digger. And everyone's like, what's wrong with you? I don't know. I just, I think I've just been watching Murder at the End of the World and there is a whole, and for anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, watch it on Hulu, not sponsored post, but I don't know, the idea of smart cities, the idea of going into space and actually seeing technologies that could actually help build construction because it is autonomous, it is electric, it is AI driven, is just pretty wild to me. So again, it highlights, I think, some scary issues, which we've already talked about with autonomous driving, particularly around commercial vehicles, which is what do humans do when you have then vehicles that can do this? Very interesting to see the construction industry and these really huge, large objects being autonomous and being able to do those jobs too. So yeah, I know a weird one, but I liked it. I don't have a weird one because I find like there's an idea kernel of consumer insight behind everything. And I think if you take a step back, you can always find it. So for example, there's a, of course, AI stroller that pushes itself, which sounds ridiculous of like, why do you need a stroller? Why do you have to push yourself? Listen, if you are struggling with mobility, right? Or you are in a wheelchair or you don't trust your body to push your stroller safely with your child in it, you suddenly have a assistant, right? You have an on-the-go nanny. So I think a lot of the things that you see at first glance and you go, come on, right? Like, do we need that? Or like, what is that? To your point, like with the massage chair example, right? When you take a step back, all of these things came from a kernel of consumer insight and humanity. And I think taking a step back, you can find the, it's not weird if it works angle to all of these things. 
Yeah. I actually thought about that with the sphere. So, like, can you imagine for kids and, you know, people who haven't seen the light of day because they're in the hospital for a majority of their lives, like, that is life-changing. Like, you can see the world without having to step out the door. So I think, to your point, there's something really nice about all the technology that we're seeing across the board. I think it's I still want some of the weird shit, though. So, like, can someone throw me something weird? Love a good weird shit. We had, there's a robot that will chase your dog around the house for you to get the zoomies out and record it and looks like a little cute little baby bot, right? But it will chase you. It will also tell you if the cat or the dog has temperature change, knee change, feed it, but will literally be the at-home dog sitter, which is always, to me, adorable because people love pet tech and weird. And you always have copious number of smart toilets that will sing to you, do all the things for you. There was a toilet seat yesterday I saw that will track the different urine streams of your family to, you know, obviously for medical reasons, but the idea of putting a toilet seat down that's going to track your pee is always just a, you know, fun mental gymnastics to have to think about, right? How do you clean it when you go number two, though? Like, You know, I didn't use or read the instruction manual, so we can get that for you. Curious. But, you could yeah. try it out on the floor. See what Yeah. Happens. I saw it Monday, so I don't know what technology was in it because it wasn't really set up yet. But there was a big old fancy bathtub at the Kohler booth. So it was weird to just see a bathtub out in the middle of the floor like that. But I'm interested to see what the technology was. Uh, $17,000, probably Alexa-enabled bathtub. No, you know what was weird? AARP actually does an incredible aging tech setup. And they partner with Samsung and a bunch of other smaller brands to really show the things of how do you age in home. But it was a gimmick to get people into the booth. But they had this one thing where, I can show you some videos from our clients who did it, but they had this thing where basically they put you in front of a white screen and they just said like, hang out, move around, dance, like get down. And on the screen about four feet away next to it, projected you as a hologram, but would age you up to what you would look like as a late in your elderly age. Also age you back down to what you looked like in about middle school. Right, so it just sort of went between real time, future you, past you while you're just sort of moving around projected. So you could see the person in real time, you could see their hologram in real time that looked like it was them, but they'd suddenly look 80 and then they would look 12, which was weird and wild. I wonder, uh, does it look accurate at all? Are you guys going on my tour today? I'll take you. I'll put you in the booth. Well, cool. it's all hard, right? Can't unless, wait to see me you, back in my butt cut, bowl cut face. Unless you, <laughs> unless you know what the person looks like when they were a kid, it's hard to tell, but yeah. it was very impressive. Very cool. I do have one weird one, and I don't want people out there who enjoy bird watching to get mad at me, but there was Swarovski smart binoculars that identified the birds you were looking at. 900 species. There you go. So, cool. very cool Weird niche, but weird for the bird people. Also, the fact that it was made by Swarovski was what <laughs> found I weird. found more weird. Not that it was binoculars that identified bird, but that's where Swarovski was going. I have one. I, I, something that, or the company that revealed this yesterday, they go, they'll be on the floor as well. But it's Rabbit R One. Not sure if y'all saw that. It's they call it an AI agent. It's an additional device that you need. They're selling it for two hundred bucks, which isn't actually too bad for what it does. Supposedly, but it's a fraction of the size of your phone. But it's a tactile device that you, it's AI enabled, has a small screen, has a scroller, like an analog scroller, has a rotating 360 camera on it, and obviously has speakers and a microphone. But they call it, instead of like an LLM, my large language model, they call it an LAM, so a large action model. So essentially, what an AI agent is supposed to do is you give it instructions and it just executes all those things. So instead of like, Hey, ChatGPT, tell me, you know, where should I travel? All that kind of stuff. You can ask your Rabbit R1 to do that. It'll give you all the options. You can hit confirm, and it goes and buys it, puts in all your information, and just executes all the things for you. And it recognizes your patterns to just make your life easier. So, I'm excited to see where these AI agents start to move, and. I assume like these standalone devices might not be necessary in the future if Siri, Google, and Alexa can actually, and, and Meta AI can actually integrate that into their systems. But I did appreciate how affordable that price is for the device. It's not like $3,400 for that. It's something that if somebody's interested in using this device that connects to your phone as your phone is the hub, and you give it instructions and confirm it has an analog scroll and has all these different things, to actually start to try out how AI can help your life make it easier. I love that we subconsciously put Apple's product pricing as like the threshold to our sanity. It's a lot. Of it's now. a it's lot. It's like $3,500 yeah. is our threshold. It's a lot. All right, I'll come back. I agree, it's a lot. $3,500 is a lot. <laughs> it's 12 eggs. 
It's, all, it's also a lot because, to Mike's point with the killer app, it's a lot because I saw the announcement of what it can do, but I've also seen those from Microsoft over the years and yeah. everybody else over the years of like what it could do. The CGI. But I want to know what it can do day one. So like what are the three killer apps day one that I need to pre-order it now? Excel. <laughs> Excel gives me nightmares. Last question, and in one sentence, what excites you most about 2024? I think applied innovation. I don't think people have a choice. I think you simultaneously have to do something differently but again, going back to the economic realities of things, right? You have to be real detailed on your dollars and be very specific and ready to justify any spend. So I don't think the idea of these big bets are going to last solely because people can't financially afford to do it. But I think the incremental innovation or the minimal movements in terms of small opportunities to actually test, prove it, and blow it out, it, your hand's going to be forced financially, but it's going to actually pay off in a much more specific and fun way. Yeah, I think that just leads perfectly into seeing how an event like CES and all this new technology in front of us allows us to be more efficient with our time, be more efficient with our bandwidth and resources. And a lot of our brands and clients and companies around the world are going to look to innovation to stretch their dollar further. And that's what I'm most excited about, especially in the AI sector, because that is definitely a tool beyond just generative, but like from the machine learning and making things just a lot easier and smoother. Double-edged sword, right? It does that for the companies, but we also saw Duolingo laid off 10% of their contractors right after they started implementing AI features. Um, so we will start to see that kind of proliferate throughout the year as well. I won't call it excited, I'll call it interested to see. Mike talked about the turbulence that is 2024. And in turbulence comes lots of agility and people doing new cool stuff because they have to. So excited to see what the turbulence brings from an agility perspective and how that kind of changes and innovates what people are doing. Yeah, I'm going to agree. AI toolbox, play and efficiencies is going to be the big one. I've, I, it's akin to when all the big gaming consoles come out and then like the first couple of years you're like, yeah, a couple of big titles and then people start really playing around with what the opportunity can be in hardware. It's kind of separate. This is obviously a software, but still, I just think that we haven't even scratched the surface of what the combination of really smart people playing around with the toolbox is going to look like. Sorry, this is not tech related, but I'm also excited because we've been talking a lot throughout this past few months of just big, splashy brand executions that brands are doing to cut through the noise. And again, when we talked about this next coming or this year of just being so clouded with media and messaging everywhere. Brands are going to need to stand out and they're being really creative with it, we, whether it's the sphere or Doritos chip on the side of the Luxor pyramid or that really cool, I'm not sure if Tommy feels you were strings that showed the smoke hologram where I thought it was just yeah. CGI or an AR thing, but it was actually like projections. smoke projections, but just really cool executions from brands to stand out and get virality of people talking about it. Well, Sarah, Whitney, Tommy and Michael, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks Thank for having you. us. Thank you. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy we look New Year. forward to having this whole crew back on. I don't know, maybe. Same time, same place? Definitely. Definitely that. Maybe hopefully before that, though. South by. 3921 at the Cosmo. <laughs> <laughs> and to our listeners, keep an eye out for Dentsu's CES Rewind report for the event's biggest takeaways for brands. And thanks for listening to another episode of The Human Element. You can find us anywhere. You can find your pods. Give us a like, subscribe, or send us a note. We'll be back out to you real soon. In the meantime, be well. <laughs>